0: Love it. Okay, if you've got your Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 1. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I know what you're thinking. The Christmas tree is down. The Christmas decorations are away. Tomorrow we steer full-scale into work and school and uni and all the normal stuff. Christmas is over, it's New Year. Why are we reading the Christmas story in New Year? And the reason for it is because there is loads within these verses that speak about timing. In fact, the key phrase, which isn't one we're going to look at, ironically, is in verse 6 where it says, The time came for a baby to be born. These verses are important for us to land on on the threshold of a new year because there is so much about time and about timing within this passage. A new year is a time where we mark the closing of one year and we celebrate the arrival of a new one. It's a time within our lives as well as within the church when we begin to think about, we begin to talk about new seasons and new opportunities and how we intend to use the time that is in front of us so it's really important that as we exist in such a moment that we touch base on a passage that is all about time and timing and we touch base on a passage that calls out what god was doing as a brand new season of life and experience arrived upon the earth Whatever way you frame New Year, we are now in a moment in 2023 where a whole new season of life and experience is about to take place. So it's important that we look at that similar moment in Scripture and identify what was God doing in that moment because that might just be a hint and a heads up as to what He's doing in this one. And the passage opens by presenting a timeline to us. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. A few important things are presented to us within this information. The first thing that we recognize is one that we actually called out on Christmas Eve, This verse presents the birth of Jesus as one that is rooted in history. The narrative of Jesus' birth is presented to us within the landscape of history. We have historical figures, historical facts, historical timelines revealed to us here, and all of them point towards the truth that the birth of Jesus Christ is not a fictitious event, but it is an actual occurrence. He was really born at a very real point in history. And the fact that history books back up the names and the events that are mentioned in these verses, the fact that history books confirm to us the validity and truthfulness of what we're reading, then also points to the reality of the Savior that was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. Secondly, though, almost within the opening words, we're presented with the fact that the birth of Jesus took place in those days. Can't overlook the significance of that opening statement. This phrase is a linking phrase. It links what has happened before with what is happening currently. And here's what happened previously. Luke's first chapter has angelic visitations, miraculous birth announcements, revelations of purpose. The story goes that Zechariah has met with Gabriel In the holy places, he's offering incense. He's been struck dumb due to his doubt of what God has spoken. And his wife, Elizabeth, who was thought to be unable to conceive, becomes pregnant with a son of whom God says there's going to be a special anointing on his life. He is going to make ready a people for the Lord. Meanwhile, Mary receives a similar visitation with a similar announcement. She A virgin betrothed to be married to Joseph is going to conceive, but her pregnancy is entirely rooted in the movement and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in her life. It's not so much the case of God opening up her womb and breathing life into it like He did with Elizabeth. Instead, God's going to do something miraculous. Even though she's never slept with a man, she is going to give birth to a child, and He is going to be the Savior of the world. Meanwhile, back in the story of Liz and Zech, a son has now been born. And as he is, Zechariah's tongue is loosed and not only does he begin to speak and declare his son's name, but he also becomes filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to prophesy. He who was muted with doubt now begins to prophesy with purpose as God unfolds his sovereign plan upon the earth. And it was in these days that Jesus was born. The days of heaven invading the earth And angelic visitations. The days of purpose being announced, being promised, and then coming into reality. It was in the days of prophetic utterances and personal outpourings of the Holy Spirit. The days of miracles and supernatural happenings. It was the days when God spoke and broke the silence with significance. See, the chapters that we read in Luke record the moments when the period of silence between the Old and the New Testament was broken. We turn the page from the end of the Old Testament into the beginning of the New Testament and it's, it's just a page turn for us but that turn of the page is the equivalent of about 400 years of history. 400 years between the ministry of the servant Malachi and the events of Luke chapter 1. 400 years that are regarded by many as the silent years. Years in which no new prophet was raised. No new thing was done by God amongst his people until an angel appears in a holy place to a priest and in a separate moment to a teenage girl. And suddenly the period of silence is broken. Suddenly the period of what was perceived as inactivity is interrupted and suddenly purpose is announced because suddenly the time has come. The time came for God to do a new thing. But he did it. In an old way. See, we read the Christmas story with marvel and wonder because it's the beginning of the new covenant. It's the arrival of grace. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. This is life changing, history altering stuff. Virgins conceiving, glory lighting up hills, stars bursting through the skies, angelic choirs. These are amazing things that announce a new thing, a new season, a new dawn upon the face of planet Earth. But God did this new thing in a kind of old way. Because while virgins conceiving was a new one by God's standards, angels visiting people with messages was not. We read of it frequently in the Old Testament purpose being communicated through angelic visitations is something that populates the narrative of the old testament wombs being opened wombs that thought were thought to be barren suddenly been opened. couples conceiving was in itself not a new thing for god people having personal infillings of the holy spirit and beginning to prophesy and beginning to announce purpose and overflow and worship that's not a new storyline within scripture Something that we read of regularly in the Old Testament. People being displaced and relocated. Individuals making journeys in pursuit of purpose. The divine manifesting and inhabiting humble environments. None of that is new. Now don't get me wrong, what God did here is phenomenal. This is the arrival of Jesus, the very Son of God and the Savior of the world. There was never a moment like this and there will never be a moment like it again. But while God is doing something unique and marvelous and life-changing, there are dimensions of it that just aren't new because it's just God. What's the point? The point is that sometimes in the charismatic Pentecostal world in which we live, we can become so obsessed with seeking out the new thing that God is doing. And God does move in ways that carry different dimensions and that carry unfamiliar outworkings. Ways that are supernatural and ways that are miraculous. But if you look closely, you'll see the hallmarks of God in it all. You'll see His fingerprints that through the centuries remain unchanging. Often then connecting with God in the new seasons of life. Taking hold of what he's doing in the now moments involves not so much of a new anointing or a new ministry or a new vision, but more of a new commitment, a new focus, a new passion to pursue all that is authentically God, i.e. that that is not built around personality, around personal agendas and religiosity. By commitment to pursue that which is pure, tried, tested, foundational, and genuine God. Often, the ways that we see God doing new things is actually when we begin to embrace the old ways. And we're not talking here about style and approach. We're not saying we need to go back to old hymns and the old style of buildings and doing church. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that which we would consider as foundations. That which we would consider as anchors in our faith. Coming back to the seeking of His face. Opening up the heart to the direction of His voice. Connecting the soul to the worship of His greatness. Anchoring the heart in the truth of His word. Stripping everything everything back, and coming back to base camp, returning to the first love, pruning the heart, embracing again the joy and the power of repentance, and just resting in and chasing after all that is pure, genuine, and authentically God. And that does involve us adjusting the focus from personalities and personal agendas and coming back to that which carries his fingerprints and hosts his hallmarks, it's about coming after him. See, there is nothing new under the sun. Will there be a move of God in our generation? Yes. Will it look different to any move that has ever happened before? Yes. And why? Because we pressed in for a new anointing that's never been heard of or seen before. Because we are operating with a new ministry that's never ever been released before? No. That's not what will make it different. See, God is the same. We will see a move of God in our generation. It will be different to anything that we've ever seen before because our context is different, but the God that is moving is not. Our generation is different. Our cultures and the challenges of our cultures are different. The world is different now than it was decades ago, let alone centuries ago. But the God at work is still the same. And although the problems and the issues that are facing our current context and our current generation may have a different outworking, at the heart of every single human being lies the same need. It's a need for God. And while at the heart of every human being lies the same need, which is a need for God, the amazing thing is that is the heart of our immortal, ageless God lies the same desire, and that is to visit and transform humanity with his love. A move of God. A visitation of glory on earth. God coming down to his people, to individuals, to groups of individuals, visiting communities and nations, that in itself is not new our Bible and our history books are filled with records of such occurrences. It's not new, it's just God. Perhaps we need to strip back the obsession with the new and follow the ancient paths for a season. Maybe we need to reconnect with all that is pure, authentic, and genuinely God. In this new year, As pastor, let me give you a warning. Social media is filled with ministries, personalities, and individuals that are saying, come join our thing for the new thing. Come follow what we're doing for the new thing that God is doing. Come press in and be part of this event for the new thing that we need to press into. Actually, what if we stop being obsessed with the new thing and just chased after the authentic, ageless God? What we need to come back to is the ancient paths, praying, seeking, fasting, worshiping, feasting on Scripture, sharing our faith, serving and loving our neighbors, living out the relationship of a heart, the heart in a way that changes who we are but changes the world and those round about us see, it was in the days of supernatural happenings, miraculous manifestations, prophetic utterances, revelations of God's intention. It was in those days that God released something that would forever change history. He gave us Christ. And if the greatest move of God on the earth was released within a season in which that which was genuinely and authentically God was capturing the attention of his people, then does that suggest where we, we need to fix the attention of our hearts? And how we need to fix our sights. We need to come after all that is authentically, genuinely Him. That that spotlights Him and Him only. Equally, we see that the days in which Jesus was born was the days of Caesar Augustus and Quirinius. It was the days of Ascensus and a Roman Empire. It was the days of very human stuff. The setting for this inbreaking of God, this heaven on earth manifestation, interestingly was not the setting of a temple. We aren't told that in those days temple worship was at an all-time high and there were more synagogues in existence than at any other time in history. That might have been the case. In fact, it probably was. But that isn't the opening narrative for Jesus' birth. This information isn't the information that we're presented with when we're introduced to the greatest moment in history. See, Luke, who has carefully researched and looked into Jesus' life, doesn't set up the greatest story ever told by reflecting on religious stats and measuring up the spiritual climate of the people. Doesn't tell us how many nations were God-fearing and how many were not. The backdrop is not of temple life and worship and prayer backdrop is one of Roman rule, and oppressive dominion. The curtain lifts on Jesus' arrival, and the narrative is that the people of God are living under the oppression of dictators. They are captives in their own land, slaves in their own homes, if you like. Quirinius is governor over Syria, Caesar Augustus rules over that which is referred to not as a nation, not even as an empire, but in this reading, it's an entire Roman world. And his rule is presented to us with one fact. He has decreed a census. And the purpose of the census, like all censuses, the purpose is to count people. But for the Romans. The purpose wasn't just to count people to get a snapshot of what life was like and what was going on in the Roman world. The purpose of counting the people was for tax. It was to figure out who they could get money from. So the count of the people at the command of the Roman emperor was in actual fact a reminder to the people of exactly who was in charge. And according to the Bible, and history books back this up, each person had to travel to their own hometown to register, and with that information the picture broadens we see upheaval. We see interference. There's movement. People are leaving town. People are arriving in town. People are traveling across the country to respond to the rule and the influence of their dictators. The Roman emperor shouted, all change, and everyone just moved and began to follow suit. And this is the context of Luke and his gospel. This is the scene that is set up in just a few opening lines for us. These are the days that Elijah, that Luke is talking about. went in a song there. These are the days of Luke. And it's within this upheaval, and it's within this chaos, it's in the midst of the discomfort and the unhappiness, it's while the people are living in economic uncertainty, political oppression, fear and worry, it's within that setting that God releases heaven to earth with the announcement of joy and peace and glory in the highest. And not only that, in the midst of this crazy mixed up landscape of oppression, injustices, upheaval and chaos, God begins to draw people down the ancient paths again. He sends angels with purpose again. He fills people with his Holy Spirit again. He stirs up prophecy again. He releases calling and he mandates destiny in people's lives. He brings forth worship. And he releases a call to repentance. He raises up voices in the wilderness, in obscure places, voices that are calling for the rejection of religiosity and the normative practices of the day, voices that are issuing bold, clarion calls to embrace all that is authentically and genuinely God. Nothing is new under the sun, is it? Because we can read that description out. And we could take that description of Luke chapter 2 and actually call it the description of the world in which we live right now. We live in a crazy, mixed-up world that is marked with oppression, upheaval, injustices, and chaos. We live in a landscape that right now is marked with dictators and uncertainty in our generation. Our young people are oppressed by anxiety, face the uncertainty of identity, are being raised within an environment of economic distress and political madness. And right now, from heaven, God releases a call, not to a new anointing, not to the latest fads in ministry. He calls us back to the ancient paths. Right now, all across the world, all across our nation, across the length and breadth of our community, God is calling people to himself. He is filling people with his Holy Spirit. He's stirring up the prophetic. He's releasing joy and freedom through repentance. He is bringing forth worship and marking out lives with calling and purpose. He's doing a new thing in our generation, but he's doing it in a kind of old way. He's calling people to reject that which is religiosity, That which is a mile wide and an inch deep. That which is Christian hedonism and built around people and their personalities and their agendas. And he's calling us instead to embrace that which is genuinely and authentically God. As we enter into this new year, we need to stop playing at church. And we need to begin to seriously lay hold of God in the pure ancient ways, the exploring of His work, the seeking of His face, the sharing of our faith, the serving of others and the worlds in which we live, and beginning to live out the life that is found in the Holy Spirit of God. God is doing a new thing, but in an old way. And Luke opens up this whole moment by setting it within the narrative of the Roman Empire. But in the next verse, he then changes the narrative. He says in verse 4, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. These verses are wonderful because as we follow through, the timeline slips from that of Augustus and Quirinius to that of Mary, Joseph, and the expected child. Living within the landscape of upheaval and chaos is a couple. A couple who are working out their journey as a couple. They're working out their journey into marriage because they're betrothed. Their journey of relationship. A relationship that was not yet consummated, but yet had a child in the mix. And there's a lot to work out for them in that. But also they're working out their own personal, literal journey within a world of chaos. They are journeying from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They're on a journey of survival in a world of upheaval. They were doing what they needed to do, even though it was genuinely inconvenient and uncomfortable within the timeline of their own life. And this is where we begin to see beauty. The perspective changes. Look at the different perspectives that are encompassed in the verses that we're reading. We have the world that is described as being ruled by the Romans. We have the region that we're told is governed by Quirinius. We have the town of Bethlehem that we're told is busy and filled with traffic. We have a couple betrothed to be married, making their way in the world, and we have a baby, a life that is yet to enter into the world, and we have God whose plan and purpose is at work in all of that. From a world, to a region, to a town, to a couple, to an unborn child, our view goes from large to minute, from macro to micro, and all of it is presented to us to reveal the activity of God that is spanning all of that stuff. His purpose is at work in the world. His purpose is at work in the communities governed by pagan dictators. He's moving the pieces. He's influencing the journey of the individuals within that world. He's even putting things in place for the generation that is yet to be born and to be released upon the earth as part of his plan and his kingdom. God is at work in this context. He's moving the pieces around. He's controlling the overall narrative to release that which is going to impact the now, the next, and the not yet generations. Child of God, be encouraged. encouraged. God is currently at work in the topsy-turvy, upside-down world of madness that we live in. He's at work in our world and our communities with all of their upheaval and uncertainty. His purpose is present in the regions and communities that we call home, but the regions and communities whose appearance seems to change rapidly with every season that we live through. His influence is outworking in the chaos and the uncertainty. He is moving the pieces He's altering the structures, and He's journeying with us as we seek to navigate through this unfamiliar landscape, and He's even altering the structures and putting things in place to release something of significance for the now, the next, and the not yet generations. And as we enter into this new year, while there is uncertainty and upheaval on the other side of this horizon, while we can never tell what tomorrow is going to bring or what the year ahead is going to hold, we can be sure and certain of this. God is in control of it all. And He is outworking His plan and His purpose. He is calling us down those ancient paths. He is releasing that which is genuinely, authentically Him and awakening us to seize hold of it with all that we've got. Indeed, we can reflect as we envision for the future. In the words of Deuteronomy 1, echo in our hearts. You saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way, just as a father cares for his child. Now He has brought you to this place. Looking back we can recognize that we are here in this moment. We are standing on the threshold of a new year because of God's care and faithfulness. He has brought us to this place. And in this place, he calls us to explore the ancient past again. It's not time for a new anointing. It's not time for a new ministry. It's time for a new commitment. A new commitment to pursue and explore all that is authentically God and to watch Him in this new year of opportunity as He gets to work in our lives and through our lives as we commit to seek God, share faith, and serve others together. Glasgow Elam, on this threshold, it is so important that we recognize God is doing a new thing, but in, a new, in an old way. And the way that we connect with that is when we come back to base camp. It's not about the new anointing. It's not about a new vision for a new year. It's not about a new calling or a new mission. It's about coming back and laying hold of the ageless, unchanging God, rejecting anything that is not of Him, and embracing all that is. And as we do, I believe we will see him move like we have never seen him move before.